0: All right. It's episode 21, pain points of wealth. We are having a phenomenal start to 2021 as markets are going through the roof. Interest rates are going up. Oil prices are going up. Those quote unquote cyclical stocks, those reopening stocks that we told you about are starting to move. So the question is, how do you position your portfolio in 2021 to win? We're going to address that and we're going to talk about some of the big questions you probably don't have the answer to when it comes to your financial plan that you need to address to make sure you're on solid footing this year in 2021.
1: So let's hop to it. We got a great show for you today. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the Boomer, Chris Payne, the Millennial, and Ryan Payne the generation somewhere in between.
2: You know, Rye, the year is off to a phenomenal start, right? The S&P is over 31,000 for the first time in its history, up already 2% You know, for 2021. But the big winner this year have been small company stocks off to their best start since 1987, up over 6% already. And there's the pipelines, Chris. The pipelines are up 9%. They yield 9%. Man, I like that. Up 9% and I get 9% income. I'm already up big this year. Dinner's on you, Bob. But the thing that's crazy is
0: if you start looking at what's going on right now, the one question I keep getting is, but I own Tesla. Tesla's killing it right now. In fact, I've talked to so many people that took their whole 401k at the bottom of the market. Maybe it was a half a million dollars. And became a million dollars over the course of the last couple of months. And the big question is: Well, is it going to keep going? Do I sell here? Do I hold on? You know, it's a crazy dynamic going on right now.
3: Right. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I met with somebody this week that had that exact same type of portfolio. It wasn't exactly Tesla stock, but it was large cap growth stocks and the megatechs, You know, the, what you're calling the fat gam trade: Facebook, Apple, Tesla, Google, Apple, and Microsoft. And One of the things I was trying to explain to this particular gentleman was the merits of having a more diversified portfolio. And I explained that Tesla doesn't pay a dividend. So you know, if the market pulls back 40%, you don't have any passive income coming in your portfolio. You're taking money out when the market's down. And last time I checked, guys, you don't sell when your portfolio is down.
2: Yeah. Yeah, But you know what, Chris? Tesla's up 37% over an 11-day run. Isn't that normal? Doesn't every great company do that in the course of a year?
3: Dad, I don't think the saying is past performance is 100% indicative of future performance. I think past performance is 100% indicative of past performance. My
0: favorite Bobism. That's the crazy thing right now. You know, I talked to a lot of different people that own Tesla, that made a killing. Talked to a guy the other day, turned $30,000 into $500,000. And I said, well, the big question is, when do you sell? He's like, sell? What do you mean? If I would have sold when everyone told me to sell, I would have had all this money right now And the big question becomes, and this is why I asked him. I said, "Well, are you lucky or are you good?" And I feel like, guys, as as we like to say, a fool and their money were lucky to get together in the first time. Maybe you got to realize here that you know I hit this home run, but maybe I'm not that smart. And maybe the smart play here is take those profits and start putting money in all those dividend paying stocks we're talking about, and all that other great value in the market.
2: You know, this is a conversation that seems to repeat itself every ten to fifteen years. Back in the nineties, my clients would say, Oh my God, Bobby, I own AOL or I own Cisco. And I said, Yeah, I really miss those two. What's the next one? They said, What do you mean? Didn't I tell you I own Cisco? I said, Yeah, well, what was your rigor? You know, what was your, you know, your due diligence? How did you come up with that investment? What's the next one based on your strategy? They're going, Didn't I tell you I own Cisco? So the whole thing is you got to ask yourself, when you have a home run in the portfolio and you bought twenty stocks and one of them goes up. 37% in 11 days. Are you lucky or are you smart? Well, dad, you don't have to be lucky nor do you have to be smart. You always told us you just have
3: to be in. And that kind of reminds me of a story that you always told me back when you were at your Merrill Lynch days and part of your compensation was in Merrill Lynch stock. And you used to look at your statement and say that the you had Merrill Lynch stock and so did the CEO, but the CEO was a lot wealthier than you. And it came down to one thing. The CEO had more shares. And I think that's the big thing here is that it's not really about guessing which is going to be the next Tesla or or the next AOL. It's really just about accumulating shares over time.
2: No, Chris, that's brilliant because investing is counterintuitive. Like, I want to own more of what's going up right now. That's what my body, my brain screens to me every day. But the real way to create wealth is to put your dividends and your interest and your savings into other asset classes when they're out of favor. For example, small company stocks, Right, returns come in big bunches, like 6% for the first two weeks of the year. Whoever had the most shares, I do, made the most money. Well, that's the
0: thing. Now, think about it. Think about if you're this guy who was talking to me about how he took a half a million dollars, his entire retirement account, and bought Tesla at the bottom of the market. True story. It's worth a million bucks today. He calls me and says, what should I do now? Well, if you sell all of it, just bite the bullet, and you put your money into a what we call diversified portfolio that pays lots of boring dividends, that compound, that's going to be a couple million bucks over the next 10 years. And you don't have to do anything. Like that's what good investing's about. Know when you're lucky, know when you're good. Or as I like to say, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Don't get greedy
2: here. Take your profits and run. You know, and let's be clear about this. We're not saying that growth stocks are not going to go up again. There's more than one growth stock. There's more than your fat GAM acronym, right? There are other good companies. You got to make sure that you have large growth companies, small growth companies, mid-cap growth companies. It's all about diversification. You now, the old saying on Wall Street, the only free lunch is diversification, and it's not owning one segment of the market. So just be certain that you're truly diversified, that you have money in asset classes, across asset classes, within asset classes, so that you're in a position to win because it's about the long game, not about what did you make yesterday.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the question people have. What's diversification mean? You know, it sounds great. And you know, I think the great irony right now is if you start looking at the companies that have been around the longest or the cheapest right now and pay the most dividends, Chris, you and I are talking about stocks like AT&T paying 7%. I mean, you get a half a percent in your money market fund if you're lucky. Can you imagine just getting 7% every year and just buying more shares of AT&T? There's just thousands of companies like that right now that pay dividends. They're old school companies and you're going to do well over time. And you don't have to worry about having the next new thing or you know revolutionizing the world with new electric vehicles. Old school stocks are going to work. They've worked for hundreds of years, and now's a great time to buy them on their own
3: sale. Well, and the best part of that too, Rai, is that you now have two sources of return. Your primary source of return is not just dependent on the market going up, but you also, to dad's point, you get those dividends that come in. So you know, going back to that example I used earlier, even when the market's down, you still have that second source of return coming in, in, the form of dividends.
2: So what you guys are saying is, you know, make sure you keep your growth stocks, you know, trim it down. You know, when a hedge gets too high, you can't see over it, just trim it down to where at the point where you can see your retirement, where you can see your investment goals being achieved. Make sure you have money in things like value companies. Because last night checked, there's a guy named Warren Buffett. And he's almost 100% in value stocks and he's the wealthiest investor in the history of the planet. Now, call me crazy, but don't go too far wrong following a guy like the Oracle of Omaha. Well, here's the play, guys. You heard it here first. Sell all your Tesla
0: stock today. Go out and buy yourself a Tesla. Get a vanity plate that says, thank you, TSLA, because that's the ticker for Tesla. And take the rest of the proceeds and diversify them elsewhere and you're going to thank us later. It's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And if you like our content, you love our fodder, you love when the pain boys talk about finance, who doesn't? Click on that like button. Please show some love, subscribe to our channel, and put some comments in the comment section. Let us know what you want to talk about. Let's get some good discourse going. But please click on that like button, subscribe to the channel. We're trying to get the good word out there. So Bob and Chris, the hard part of retirement planning is there's a lot of unknown variables. Although it'd be easy to ignore the questions, we don't have the answers to, if you really want to build a solid financial plan, you still have to address these following issues. And the big one is, when is the market going to crash next? My crystal ball, my eight ball, you know, it tells me the future broke like 20 years ago when I got into business.
2: Hey guys, you know what? We know market crashes are part of investing history. No one ever predicted them. No one knows them because they're unknowable because the future is unknowable. But here's the thing. We had a crash in 2000. We had a crash in 2008. Now we don't have a crash every seven years, but they do happen. The thing is you can't predict them. Volatility is part of investing. You need to embrace them. I
3: think the acronym for fear really applies here. And the acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. And when the market pulls back, we have this irrational feeling that the market's going to go to zero. So we make irrational decisions. We turn our unrealized losses and we make them real rather than focusing on what's real and why we're doing this in the first place, which is our financial goals in the future. You know, we're investing this money to reach a goal in the future, whether that's retirement or something else. But the reality is if you own an all-weather portfolio, you, know, you can weather these crashes pretty well And ignore the noise.
0: Well, I think it comes down to this, guys. You know, the funny thing is, we spend so much time worrying about a market crash. You know, over the last decade, I heard clients call me saying, Well, I think this is it. We're finally going to have another great financial crisis. And the irony is, when we finally did get a market crash last year, it was something nobody could have predicted, you know, because it's completely unknowable when it's going to happen. We didn't predict we're going to have a global pandemic and the global economy was going to shut down, no one figured that out. So I think the idea is you always want to be prepared for a crash in your portfolio. You always want to have that protection in place because invariably when the next crash actually comes, no one's going to get that right ahead of time.
2: Well, the market just shows you how irrational it is. You know, Back in 2007, US household net worth was $70 trillion. Right, The market crashed in 2008 and it recovered. And here we are in 2021 and US household net worth is $123 trillion. It doubled since then. Why didn't the market see that? Because it's irrational and it does everything it can to keep you poor. Another question you can't really answer, but you have to account
0: for, and this is a hard one for us as financial planners, is healthcare costs. Look, we're living longer. You're going to be in retirement for a much longer time than our parents were and grandparents were. And you have to really account for in your portfolio, how you are going to cover
2: Those healthcare costs when you're finally retired. Well, you're right about that, Ryan. We're definitely going to live longer because healthcare keeps getting better. I mean, look how quickly we develop these vaccines. Chris, I've never seen anything like that in history.
3: That's absolutely true, Dad. Healthcare is improving. And the other thing is improving is longevity. So, one of the things that I look at when I'm doing planning for all of my clients, no matter how old they are, is that we're building in some additional unanticipated healthcare expenses in the future just to make up for what the potential for healthcare costs could be in the future.
2: Chris, I can attest to that. I, what you do and what we do with our wealth projections, you know, with our financial GPS, where we help people to see what their net worth is going to look like every year for the rest of their lives and what their returns are going to be net of inflation taxation based on history is invaluable. And I can't imagine anyone who's going into retirement or in retirement who doesn't have that updated every year. I don't know how they sleep at night. Well, I think the thing you have to ask yourself is if I see a quarter of a million
0: dollars, a half a million dollars come out of my portfolio for healthcare costs, is that going to affect my lifestyle? Right? Because that's what it's all about, being able to maintain your lifestyle. That's what financial independence is by living off your portfolio. You can't answer that question, and someone hasn't run those numbers for you. Well, you know, you don't really have what I would call a solid financial plan. Now, if you're younger, like Generation X, Chris, the millennials that you deal with, you have to worry about replacement of income as well, because God forbid something happens to you and you have a mortgage, you have college tuitions to pay for, you have a spouse that depends on your income. You know What kind of insurance do you have? Are you underinsured? Are you overinsured? And odds are when you have a lot of these variable life policies, you don't have enough insurance to cover you when you probably need it the
2: most if something happens to you. You know, it's more than that, right? Especially with the baby boomers, they look at their life expectancy and they compare it to their parents. They don't realize you're going to live longer. And when you face that, you know, reality, they say, "Well, you know, I don't think I'll make it past 80." You say, "Well, what if you do?" And isn't it better to be prepared than to be dealing with running out of money when you're 85?
3: It's absolutely important to be prepared, Dad. And I think you actually have the best health insurance policy out there. You've got Mom, who historically has shopped in the no taste section, so. chances are you'll probably be the first person to die of nothing.
2: Bob's taking more supplements than any other man at his age. You know, guys, it's not the clothes that makes the man. (laughs) It's the vitamins.
0: And the other thing, guys, it's always a moving target, something we have to plan for every year for our clients, but it's just so critical that you can't ignore is taxes. And I have no idea what's going to happen with taxes. We don't know with the Dems controlling the House and the Senate, are taxes going up? Are they going down? What Are they going to look like three presidencies from now? but taxes are a huge part of your
3: plan. Well, you know what, Rye? I'll tell you what, taxes in the future, chances are, are probably not going to be at a discount. I think they're probably going to be higher. So I think if one thing we can probably depend and plan on is the fact that we're going to be paying more taxes in the future. So anything that we do today to make our portfolios more tax effective is going to be a huge benefit.
2: Well, you know, Chris, I just can't imagine why people pay more taxes than necessary right now. I see so many inefficient portfolios where they're using old school products, where they're declaring capital gains every year, where you're paying taxes to the IRS on gains that you didn't need to take, or you didn't even take. You know, Your portfolio manager did. I see investors who don't put money into tax-free bonds and get tax-free income, sometimes triple tax exempt income. You know, They're investing in things that are causing them to be pushed into a higher tax bracket. They don't take advantage of their 401ks. So to me, it's not just what are the rates going to be in the future, what are you doing about your tax rate right now? There's lots of pro moves you can make, and I think everybody's got to take advantage of the legal tax shelters that are out there.
0: Yeah, and it's not an excuse to say, well, you know, taxes are going to be different in a couple of years. So why plan? You got to plan for what's going on right now. You got to play the game based on what the rules are today. We can always adjust later if they change the rules. And it kind of come full circle here. I had the same conversation about Tesla. It all comes back to Tesla. You know, again, I was talking to somebody this past week. That's very reluctant to sell their Tesla shares. And their argument is, well, I'm going to pay a bunch of money in taxes. And the truth is you're not. Long-term capital gains rates are some of the lowest they've ever been in history. You're actually getting out cheap right now if you take those taxes.
3: Yeah. Not to mention, ride that if the Tesla stock or whatever stock that they're holding pulls back substantially, that could end up costing them more than what the taxes would be long-term. So I guess the saying is don't let the tax tail wag the dog the investment dog.
2: I love that line, Chris. So I guess what it comes down to, guys, the only two guarantees in life are death and taxes, and we all have an obligation to postpone both. Bob, Chris, and I have now spent a collective 70 years
0: helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 saved and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan, or you could click the link below. We put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right track to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right. It's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Ready, Bob? Let's do it, buddy. The world's largest mutual fund, Vanguard Total Stock Market, recently crossed the one trillion dollar mark. Furthermore, the two largest exchange traded funds, which together have over five hundred and eighty billion in assets, about a half a trillion dollars, track the S and P 500. Ironically, this mutual fund and these exchange traded funds
2: aren't really that diversified, even though they sound like they are, Bob. Well, the reason is, Rye, they're capitalization weighted. You know, in English what happens is the larger companies get more weight when you look at the performance. So for example, as of September, the big five were up an average of nearly 60% for the year, but they contributed more than 80% of the S&P 500's return. So I'm not sure if it's a chicken or egg theory here, right? You got $1.5 trillion pouring into S&P 500 index funds and the five biggest stocks are up the most. Is it that buying that's pushing the stock up or are they trading on fundamentals? Mm, I wonder.
0: Well, I think you have to ask yourself, buyer beware, are you diversified? Because that Vanguard Total Stock Market Index has 3,500 stocks. Sounds like a lot of diversification to me, but only five stocks account for 20% of the entire portfolio. It's a very, very dangerous place to be and very top heavy. Be careful. All right, Chris, during the first week of January, the 10-year treasury note finally went above 1%, actually to 1.102% for the first time since March. However, only four of 62 economists tracked by Bloomberg expect yields to move even higher, up to as high as 1.5%. Is this it, Chris? Are rates finally capping out here at
3: 1%? Well, Ryan, I don't have a crystal ball. And based on past experience, I'd know better than to trust the analysts and the economists of Wall Street. But I will tell you one thing, I feel really bad for all those people that last March put almost a half a billion dollars into these bond fund ETFs. Because right now, they're probably kicking themselves with the fact that rates have gone up.
0: Buyer beware. When rates go up, bond prices go down, which make those bond funds, which we warn you about, more treacherous than ever. Definitely review your portfolio to make sure you get rid of those bond funds. Bob, the S&P 500 index has returned an average of 14% a year when Democrats have controlled Congress and the White House since 1948.
2: Well, the S&P up over 2% for the year, right? We're already ahead of the game, so we only have to get 12% more. Wait a minute. Democrats aren't even in power yet. Why is it going up? Well, I think it's like you said, Bob. At the end of the day, the high correlation between stocks
0: going up and someone being in the White House and people being in Congress and the Senate.
2: Yep. There's the positive correlation, right? As long as there's someone sitting in those chairs, the stock market's going up over the last 200 years. Well, I'm bullish now.
0: Chris. Productivity has actually grown at a yearly rate of 8% since the pandemic began, the fastest pace of improvement since the 1960s. Output per hour work trends tend to rise sharply during downturns as companies slash costs and the least efficient businesses are forced to close.
3: Well, I'll tell you what, guys, it takes me an hour each way to get to Bluebell every morning. And I haven't gone to Bluebell since March. So I've been able to work an additional 10 hours per week And I've become way more efficient. And I think that if you compound that times like every other business in the country, productivity is definitely going to be going up in the future.
0: Chris,
2: as one of the owners of the firm, I'd love to see
0: you work another 20 hours a week. Ken's just not cutting it for me, Bob.
2: I don't know, Chris and Ryan. I'm a little concerned. Our productivity is only up at a 6% yearly rate. Does this have something to do with the fact I can't get you guys on Monday till about noon? And then after one o'clock on Friday, you're nowhere to be found?
3: Well, you know what, Dad? Ryan's handsome face doesn't grow on trees. You know, He needs his beauty rest.
2: You guys want me an optimal performance. Well, listen, gentlemen,
0: another great show. And if you like our content, you dig our content, you like the pain talking about finances, who doesn't? Please click on that like button, subscribe to our channel, put some comments in the comment section below, tell us what you think, give us some feedback. We love feedback. Have a great week. And as always, stay loose and keep an open mind.
1: Thanks for listening to the Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management.